Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., or 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. I pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. May God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. That is a long gospel, (laughs) but it gives us a lot to talk about. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. The Friday morning men's group is in the middle of reading Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Bishop Wright is one of the most read and prolific writers in the Anglican Communion today. And Simply Christian is Wright's attempt at a summary or an apology in the classic definition of the word of the Christian faith. It is a reboot, if you will, of C.S. Lewis's classic from the 1940s, Mere Christianity, which shared the same goals. Is it just me, or do all major Anglican writers go by their initials? Perhaps folks should start calling me BG, but that sounds too much like the disco group. Anyway, after last week's chapter, and after a whole lot of wind-up, this week Wright got to the heart of the matter what Christianity is all about. This is Wright's elevator speech. I've heard it said that every Christian should have an elevator speech, a 30-second summary of why one is a Christian in case a seeker asks us and we don't have a lot of time to respond. Perhaps in the season of Lent, we could think about what our elevator speech might be. But that is not the topic of my ramblings today. Wright says that Christianity is about the belief that the living God has fulfilled his promise to rescue God's people in Jesus. With Jesus, a great door has swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We are offered freedom, freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves. In particular, we are all invited, summoned actually, to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty. And that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as in heaven. Not a bad speech. And as I read that chapter this week, I found it not only inspiring, but also an interesting counterbalance to this season of Lent, or at least how we might have been taught to think about Lent. We might think, I often think, that Lent is about sin, our sin, and our desperate need to repent, to reflect on and repent for our sins. 
And those are not unnecessary tasks. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, so forgive me for repeating myself. But my favorite definition of sin, and seriously, only big church geeks have favorite definitions of sin. But sin is a separation from God. Sin is so much more than breaking a rule or doing something bad. When we commit a sin or act in a sinful manner, rather, we place an unnatural barrier or separation between ourselves and God. Scripture states that we are made in the image of God, and so by our very nature we are supposed to be in eternal communion with God. But that relationship can short-circuit because of sin. So what is the opposite of sin? If we strive to be sinless, which is a silly pursuit, but I guess it's worth a try, what would that look like? Is a lack of sin purity? Is a lack of sin morality? Is a lack of sin righteousness? Is a lack of sin incredibly boring? I don't believe the opposite of sin is any of those things. And for our answer, we can turn to today's gospel. The folks in today's gospel seem to be obsessed with sin. Jesus and his apostles encounter a blind man and they react by trying to find someone to blame. Rabbi, the apostles ask, who who sinned, this man or his parents? And after Jesus heals the blind man in this very earthy, pardon the pun, moment, when Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud with the saliva and spreads the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go and wash, which is both disconcertingly unsanitary, but also a beautiful recollection of the creation of man in Genesis. After all of that, the Pharisees start accusing Jesus of being the sinner. The Pharisees seem to love to point their finger and say, that's a sin, or that's a sin, or she's a sinner. The only person in this story that doesn't seem at all interested in sin is Jesus. And after all the spitting and the pointing and the dragging his poor parents into the fray and all of the rigmarole, this poor man is cast out for the sin of being healed. But Jesus, Jesus seeks him out and finds him and says to him, Do you believe? I hear Jesus saying to us today that the opposite of sin is belief. The Greek verb translated as belief is pisteo, which means to believe, to trust, to have faith in. And that verb appears over 100 times in John's Gospel alone. And other forms of that word appear over another 100 times. If the Pharisees are obsessed with sin, then Jesus is obsessed with belief. For Jesus wants nothing more than for us to believe in him, to be in relationship with him, to trust him, and to follow him. 
This ties back into Bishop Wright's statement that I mentioned earlier. In particular, we are all invited, he wrote, to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, and relationship. It's no coincidence that immediately after today's gospel, if the gospel weren't long enough, is Jesus' introduction of the image of the Good Shepherd. In the very next chapter, Jesus says to the apostles and the Pharisees, and the formerly blind man is probably hanging out still too. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, for I am the Good Shepherd. I have a friend who was a priest on the Atlantic coast of Georgia. And one Saturday, when he was a little boy, he went to his grandparents' house for a picnic. All sorts of folks were there, aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. It was the kind of occasion where a young boy could get lost in the crowd, wander off, and get into trouble. And so he decided to walk out to the driveway and play in his father's brand new car. The door was unlocked, and he climbed into the driver's seat. He loved all the shiny knobs and buttons. He pretended that he was driving for a while, but then he hit the gear shift, and the car slipped into reverse. The car began to inch backwards, slowly accelerating. My friend tried everything he knew to do, but that wasn't much considering his age. The drive was mercifully short because it was abruptly ended by the neighbor's mailbox. And the damage was small, a small dent in the bumper and a correctable tilt to the neighbor's mailbox. But in the boy's mind, he might as well have plowed the car into the neighbor's living room and then set it on fire. He stumbled out of the car and looked across the street, and as soon as he looked, he saw his father sprinting towards him, and a lump of guilt and fear swelled in his throat. But when his father reached him, instead of being walloped with the storm of wrath and indignation he expected and deserved, his father swept him up in his arms and gave him the hardest and longest hug he had ever received. Are you okay? He exclaimed through tears. I'm okay, Daddy. I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it, son. I'm just glad you're okay. We'll talk about this later. When we sin, we separate ourselves from God, and God can become angry or sorrowful for what we have done and left undone. But much, much more importantly, when we sin, God rushes in like a loving parent, not unlike the father of the prodigal son, and sweeps us up and makes sure that we are okay. As our Eucharistic prayer prays today, when our disobedience took us far from you, you did not abandon us to the power of death. In your mercy, you came to our help, so that in seeking you, we might find you. This Lent, do think on your sins, and perhaps when necessary, make an amendment of life. But also, believe in Jesus. Believe in the Jesus 
who loves you more than you could ever imagine or deserve. Believe in the Jesus who has arrived to rescue us from this broken world. Believe in the Jesus who invites us to follow him. Amen.